Welcome to Enemies from War to Wisdom. Why do we need enemies? From intimate relationships to politics, tribalism, and community, we cannot seem to stop dehumanizing each other. Chronic conflicts in our families, societies, and nations seem inevitable. In this podcast, we analyze human hostilities from the most mundane to the most sophisticated. We apply psychology, psychoanalysis, art, spirituality, and relational theory in conversations about belonging and othering. Each program reaches for a fresh wisdom that shows us how to step back from creating enemies in our lives. I'm your host, Jill Abelock, a book artist, end-of-life doula and spiritual caregiver, and mindfulness meditation teacher. I'm here with my co-host, Polly Young-Eisendrath, who is a psychologist, Jungian analyst, author, and speaker. We approach our ideas each from our own worlds, but always from the spirit and teachings of Buddhism, of which we are lifelong practitioners. When people are preparing to go through a wedding, whether it's their first or not, they often dream they are dying or about to attend a funeral instead of a wedding. Why does monogamous commitment to another person, who is an equal, tend to bring up deep anxiety and even hostility toward that person? In this podcast, we are going to explore the Buddha's teachings of impermanence and limitation in relation to the fears that many of today's adults, young and old, have of marriage and commitment. We will look at the ways in which a committed relationship creates a path for spiritual and psychological development and a deepened recognition and understanding of the relational nature of the human self. Well, hi, Jill. Hi, Polly. Um, This is one of these topics that I feel we're both really well poised to talk about. So I wondered if you would say a little bit about your role in marrying people and what the history of that has been. So I became a justice of the peace. Oh my gosh, somewhere between 12 and 15 years ago, I lost count. I did it actually because I was really excited that Vermont had enacted the first civil union law in the country. And I had several good friends and also cousins and family members who I hoped then could at least have a formal commitment ceremony. And so I was very excited to be able to perform that. And that was one of my main impetuses for becoming a justice of the peace. And what I discovered was that it's really both a privilege and a responsibility to work with couples and approach couples in creating a ceremony because what we do in that process is start looking at how they want to relate to each other through their relationship, what exactly it is they are committing to in that relationship, and how they want to celebrate and hold the love that they feel for each other. So I wonder if you have thought about this issue of the fear of commitment. You know, obviously, as a therapist, it's one of the main themes that comes up in therapy is commitment phobia. Sometimes, you know, a person will say that that they've met an individual that has commitment phobia, or sometimes they have it themselves. Mm -hmm. But just the idea of being afraid 
of a commitment to a relationship. Do you have you come across that or have you thought about it? Do you have any thoughts about, you know, I don't know how often, let's say, people that are coming to get married would talk about that or you would encounter it. It's not the same as being the therapist who hears about everything. So. No, certainly not. Usually the point at which people contact me is when they have either worked through or put aside their commitment fears enough to proceed with the actual wedding and and marriage. And so it's not something that comes up often in my role as officiant. And although I did have one couple who went most of the way toward their ceremony and at some point said, we're really not ready to make this commitment to each other. Of course, as the wedding officiant, that's where my relationship with them ends. If they mm-hmm. work through that with a therapist or not, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, So it isn't something that comes up directly. However, it is something that I've witnessed in you know, relationships of friends and others where the, the struggle seems to be often that in particular there is one person who is who believes that they are craving commitment and the other person who is somehow doing an avoidant dance and it becomes almost the way they relate to each other right 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 and so i mean the very first thing to say about commitment is that it's an individual thing there's really no we Right. In it, you know, because we don't agree that we are going to commit to each other. Each one of us says, I will commit to, I I like to think of it as I will commit to our relationship. I'm not committing to you specifically, but I'm committing to you in a relationship that I promise now will be exclusive to you. And so we're talking about the commitment to a monogamous relationship and how could that commitment bring up hostility or fear? Why do people get afraid of that? You know, it's like uh, there's a lot of this. We're a very romantically driven culture. There's a lot of romance about weddings, for example, not so much about marriages, but about weddings. And the idea that there is some sort of fear or even hostility connected to committing yourself to an exclusive monogamous relationship with another person, that idea, I feel, gets short shrift, Mm -hmm. that people don't think about it very much. Um, And yet, I would say, in a certain way, it's it's a very natural Mm -hmm. kind of a fear. And I mean, do you have an idea about, you know, in your experience, or again, it's, it's, I know too much about this topic, like you pointed out. You know, it's sort of like I feel like you've written quite a bit thing, about yeah, it. This and is yes. one of these things that I know a lot about. But I just wonder, from your side, you know, as a, a an officiant, mm-hmm. uh, I wonder if you understand what is it that people are so either hostile about, like they want to stay away from it, or they're just afraid of it. What is that thing? So. Harkening back to some of the discussions that we've had in other po- podcasts, I would say that a, a piece of it to me would seem to be there is an illusion of freedom in our society, and there is 
uh, an illusion that we have choice and you know just the word decide by itself you know is often viewed as killing the choices you know making bifurcating and then killing one and holding another and i think the notion of commitment as not a positive action toward something but a destroying of other options is part of where people consciously or unconsciously get stuck. Right, right. I love the way you said that because I think it's completely accurate. It's like the experience that you're going to choose this path and you're killing all the other paths. And so often the, the commitment is experienced as the closing of doors rather than the opening of doors. And so I think people are approaching the idea of marriage or a, you know a lifetime companionship or whatever with this kind of romantic sense of oh this is going to open all sorts of possibilities for me right. but then as they go into the the process of promising to be exclusively connected to one other person they have on an emotional level other feelings it's mm-hmm. not it doesn't feel like oh a great joy it's more like yeah. you know some something's getting cut off here right. something's getting closed up and so maybe this is not the right person right. you know maybe this this if i found somebody else i'd feel just joyful about committing myself mm-hmm. to them and I, again i think that this is one of these mistakes that we make because um, we have now elevated the idea of a committed relationship with an equal partner in which we are best friends and lovers and parents together. And so we've elevated this into some sort of la-la land, actually, uh, whereas I think it is, first of all, a, a new kind of experiment. You know, the mm-hmm. the whole notion of a committed relationship was always the elders in the family choosing something for you or something that was just, you know, immediate. You know, in Elizabeth Gilbert's book, Committed, she writes about, I think she's in Laos and she's asking women, like, how did you choose your husband? And, then, and they say things like, he walked down the street. Right. Uh, because, right. you know, at right, that right, moment, right. they right. needed to get... They need they they were at the age where mm-hmm. they were going to have children, and they needed a husband, and so that was the first one that walked through the door. Right. They weren't choosing him, right? They they weren't say he wasn't going to be their best friend. Right. He was just in a role, right? And that role was going to be another role. It was going to be the father, and blah blah blah. And so there's never been a period of time in which we have debated the issue of who we're going to choose as much as we are now. Uh, I mean, now it's like people have this feeling they could choose anybody. Right. And in the past, that wasn't around at all. No. It was, you know, it's kind of like now when you walk into the beverage store, you have 15,000 choices of different kinds of soda or juice or whatever. And in the past, there would maybe be one thing you right. could buy. Right. And it's sort of the same when it comes to getting married. So previously, this was what I call a corporation. You know, you got married in order to raise a family yeah. and for wealth to be passed on or yes. land to be passed on. It was a contractual arrangement. It was contractual. Yes. And you just stuck it out 
because yep. that was the contract. That's right. Not because you liked it and nobody had to to measure up to being anybody's friend or anything like that. No. And and now part of the difficulty also is the is this very romantic and somewhat unfortunately misguided notion that there is somebody out there who is the perfect yes. person for you. So people are looking for their perfect partner and you know, the, the, the challenge is when, when there is a notion, conscious or unconscious, of a perfect partner, as you approach your wedding, you approach your marriage ceremony, and you are recognizing that you are cutting yourself off from the possibility of somebody who's more perfect because the person you've chosen clearly is not the per- <laughs> right. perfect person for you, then that the, the idea that there is somebody out there who would be better if not perfect is also you know something that then you feel like you're giving up well I love the fact that you brought up the perfect partner because you know I usually like to put all of these ideas about love and marriage and so on in the framework of the the Buddhist teachings that are called the marks of existence Mm -hmm. they're called the marks of existence or we could say that they are about the nature of the world we're in. We're in this particular kind of world. And one of the most important things we know is that nothing perfect here. Nothing's perfect here. Nothing's permanent here. Right. And nothing's really personal here. Right. So the three Ps, nothing perfect, nothing permanent, nothing personal, those things make life easier because you begin to flow with Mm -hmm. the nature of life instead of sort of trying to find what you believe is going to bring the greatest amount of control to you Mm -hmm. for your happiness, your wealth, your whatever, you know. Well-being. Well-being, whatever. And so sometimes I think of when people say, perfect, that's perfect, that's amazing, that that's a really aggressive statement Mm -hmm. because what it seems to imply is that there is something that you could find Mm -hmm. that would actually be perfect. And then if you apply that to people, you know, these homo sapiens who are so flawed and have all of these difficulties, and you find one, Great, you found one. And now you get to know that one. Oh, not very perfect. And having these flaws and so on. And then if you compare that one to the dream one, the one that's in your mind that you've dreamed up, that's going to be like the mirror image of you, or it's going to complete you, or it's going to be stronger than you, or whatever it's going to do for you, Mm -hmm. you've dreamed that up. Now you're comparing this very imperfect person Mm -hmm. that you know you have found again hooray you found somebody to your dream image Mm -hmm. and you say to yourself at least i find a lot of people say to themselves why couldn't it be why couldn't there be a person out there that's like this instead of like that and then you feel now that you've, I would say, performed this very hostile act on this person that you have cared about to just, you know, compare the imperfections of that individual to the perfect to your fantasy. dream and right. your fantasy, right. now that you've done that, now you feel that it would be just onerous mm-hmm. to promise mm-hmm. 
to have a monogamous relationship with this imperfect being. And, you know, on top of everything else, generally people don't commit themselves until they actually do get to know that other person. So then they find all the imperfections that the whole thing has gone into the kind of disillusionment after the romance. And now they're, they're getting married in the midst of this disillusionment Mm -hmm. rather than in the past, you know, usually the wedding would take place before you (laughs) knew the person. And so you could imagine that maybe this person is great, but you wouldn't have known all their flaws, you know? Right. So this condition right now that we feel we're going to find the perfect mate, the perfect soulmate, right. and now the one that we have is not perfect, right. and then we're going to, the way I say it to people is when, when you get married, and I actually learned this from Shinzen Young, whom we both know, when he was um, the translator for Sasaki Roshi at mm-hmm. Mount Baldy. Apparently, according to Shenzhen, when Sasaki would marry people, he would do this thing. And now he didn't speak very good English. Mm -hmm. So he would say, now we're going to dig a hole and we put both of you in the hole and we put the soil back on top of you. And now you're stuck in this hole together. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. And that that was more or less the marriage ceremony, you know. And I, I thought because... I know that he was very innocent of anything mm-hmm. psychoanalytic. Right. But that is the exact image that yeah. people have in their dreams yeah. when they're getting married. Yeah. They're going to be buried. Right. They're dead. They're going to be put in this right. hole, and all the dirt is going to be put on top of them, and they won't be able to breathe again. Right. You know? And so, obviously, Sasaki Roshi unconsciously captured the actual unconscious image that we have when we commit to a particular relationship. Mm -hmm. And I do feel that that even apart from culture and all the changes, that there is a reason why that image is is pretty universally connected with getting married, Mm -hmm. the the image of of being buried or Mm -hmm. being in a coffin or being at your own funeral. Mm -hmm. I mean, what would you say might be the reason why, you know, this, you know, digging the hole and being buried in there with the person with the dirt on top of you might be, um, you know, an archetype for a wedding? That's a good question. Do you have any any thoughts about it? The first thought that comes to mind is is what I said before, the notion of limitation, yeah. you know, limitation yeah. of freedom. And right. rather than rather than seeing joining together with another person as the start of an adventure that starts with curiosity. Right. And respect, which are things that I like to add into wedding ceremonies because I think they're really important. It's the notion that something has ended yes you know well maybe you know we could think that it may have something to do with with a certain kind of death of the ego Mm -hmm. you know that you've had the impression again i think this is a mistaken impression but you've had the impression that you're running your own life right you know and that you're that you're deciding you know what you're going to do and how you're going to do it and when you're going to do it and now oh my gosh you're stuck with somebody else and you can no longer say, okay, I'm doing the, I'm getting up at this time, I'm going for my run, I'm then having my smoothie, then I'm doing this, and then I'm doing that. Now there's another person involved. Mm-hmm. And that 
it might be the death of something like you imagine your individual freedom to be. Right. You know, and the, the, this, this fantasy of individual freedom, I yes. think, is a fantasy of control, mm-hmm. that you have the control, that you are making things happen, mm-hmm. and now you're going to have to give that up. Mm-hmm. And I do feel like for everybody who's probably ever gotten married, there is the, that, that sense that something is over. Mm-hmm. You know, something mm-hmm. is over. And then after you have children, it's really over. But, <laughs> you know, the, that, that thing, that mistake about individual freedom mm-hmm. is like such a big mistake. Yeah. Um, and I think it is a part of, you know, it's like, it's a mistake about something that is important. There is there is freedom. There is freedom of our intentions. Mm-hmm. There's a freedom in our desires. We can move from point A to point B. We can decide that we want this, and then we go and do that. And I think that on the level of, uh, you know, do we have what's called free will? That's a whole philosophical question. But mm-hmm. I would say yes. I would say we have we have intentionality and we can mm-hmm. act on our intentions. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that we're controlling our lives. Right. That doesn't mean right. that we control every outcome, that we know exactly what we're doing, or right. that when we react in a certain way, that that's under our control. Right. There are many, many things that we're not controlling from the beginning and we never controlled. No. And I think actually the fact that we don't, even though we don't necessarily realize it moment to moment the fact that we can't or we don't when we confront a situation including getting married where where some of that illusion of control is going to dissolve that's That's terrifying that's right that's right and yet you know it's absolutely necessary i mean i i have come to believe that one of the greatest um, roots of suffering in this period of time is the belief in control, mm-hmm. you know, rather than, I mean, often the, in the Buddhist framework, it's, it's often seen as attachment or, or greed or clinging onto something or having this kind of thirst for something. Mm-hmm. I, I actually think the form that that's taking in North America at this point in time is the belief in control, mm-hmm. that you control your diet, your children, all of the activities in your daily life, uh, your wealth, your health, it could go on and on. And in other periods of time, people thought God was in control of that. And so they didn't feel so burdened with all of their teeny tiny little decisions. And even, of course, the choice of a marriage partner wasn't theirs often right you know and so there there must have been at least i mean i i'm sure there was still greed hatred and ignorance but there must have been a different cast to it Mm -hmm. it wasn't so much the individual who's controlling things and making them turn out a certain way and then feeling terrible if they turn out differently and blaming themselves if you know if something goes awry right so it's i think that it's one reason why this commitment to marriage is so difficult at this moment and can feel so incredibly overwhelming to people 
is because we have this illusion of control mm-hmm. that's very, very strong. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think we also have a distortion about permanence and impermanence. Yes, I agree. You know, that when you make a... People say, well, I can't make that promise. Well, why not? Well, what if I don't keep the promise? But what would be the problem with that? Not only you that, know, but it's yes, like, yes. It's like you're making the promise right now. Right. You don't know 10 years from now right. how you're going to feel about this. But it's a it's an intention. Yes. You're setting an intention. Yes. I intend this. That doesn't mean that you're going to be frozen in time. Right. Nothing's going to happen to and you. And it doesn't mean that you're going to do it perfectly. Right. Either. Right. Perfectly you know? well. Right. right. Because exactly. there's no perfect. Right. And 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 I mean, there's certainly the option of putting till death do us part or not putting that yeah. in a wedding ceremony. Um, it's like it's like any vow that you take. Right. You know, I mean, the Buddhist vows are like that. You're right. you're you are stating your intention. Right. To hold yourself and your actions a certain way. Right. And hold your relationship with others. Yes. A certain way. Right. And that 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 commitment in a marriage ceremony has legal implications, but the Mm -hmm. deeper implications, the spiritual and emotional implications also don't mean that if you don't do it perfectly or that if it ends, that, that it will, it shouldn't have happened to begin with, which is what the other mistaken notion that I think people sometimes get caught in. Oh, totally. Because they have the feeling like, if I choose, it goes like this, if I choose the wrong person, then I'll be responsible for this. Right. You know, and to me that, it's like, how do you get to that point where if I choose the wrong person, that assumes so many things. Yes. It assumes, well, it assumes that, that there's a right person. could know there's a right, right. person, that right. you would know this is the wrong person, right. that if things go badly, it's going to be your fault. Instead of recognizing you're in this kind of jumbled up, tumbled up world that is actually going to be moving along and changing and so on, and so will you. But at this moment of time, you're intending to promise your commitment to this person, which will be a discipline. Yes. Like you said, you will yes. address your own actions and you will in your and your thoughts and feelings and you will be working with those in relation to this person. And so yes, there will be some curtailing of some things sometimes. But as the as things continue to arise and pass away, you'll see what that commitment and promise means right you won't you won't it won't be just a thing nothing is going to be frozen right and again it's i think it's all around the control issue you know it's like this i need to do this right because i need the outcome that is the best outcome as though you know right and i think i also think that it's it's one of the mistaken notions it's one of the illusions that has arisen out of our very intensively consumerist society because the messages the messages in advertising the messages all around us are that there is a perfect car for us that there is a perfect you know couch for our living room that you know and and everything everything is very transactional and the notion Mm -hmm. that you have to maximize each transaction and so again you know that gets translated even to interpersonal relationships yes yes And, and so then it seems as though 
if you are choosing to climb into this hole with this person, this has got to be the most perfect person matching all of your criteria and that that will show you that down the line you'll have the perfect children or you'll have the perfect sex life or you'll have the perfect vacations or whatever it is that is in your fantasy that you're climbing into this hole that guarantees or more or less does that those things are going to ensue from being with this particular person where in fact the things that actually do ensue have much more to do with development your own development And that's where the opportunity the is. The opportunity and also yeah. the adventure, as you yes. said earlier, yeah. that that you're gonna move along with another person and this inquiry, and there's going to be some sort of path because you've taken these vows in the presence of your friends and family, and the friends and family are gonna expect that you have some sort of staying together, and there's some sort of community witnessing of that. So that creates a container, and that container then becomes the, the framework mm-hmm. in which you will grow and develop. Now, again, I feel like in this period of time, there's a way that people have totally forgotten the value of containment, yeah. of commitment, and also of just the constraints of life yes. that you know that we that we're all growing. The old, power of limits. The power of limits. The yeah. bo- because all of those things actually allow us to relax a little bit. Mm-hmm. We don't have to control everything. Right. We're being held. We're being held by yes. something, and um, I mean I. I like very much the fact that I, Pali Young Eisroth, I'm not going to live forever. I find that's a great relief. You know, if I thought that I had to sustain this operation mm-hmm. for eternity, mm-hmm. you know, that would kind of Well, go. that's kind of, that's like the incredible lightness of being. Yes, right? it is. Because then you know that things actually are always changing and moving along. Yep. And so when you see the value of commitment, of containment and constraint, you begin to move along the path then, I think, of seeing that nothing's perfect, nothing's permanent. And eventually, if most things aren't personal, there's a great deal more freedom. Because then it's not always about you. I mean, the person who, you know, it's like somebody, if somebody has a bad knee, and doesn't go to the movies with you, you could imagine that maybe it's about their bad knee, not about you. Right, not because they you know, don't want to go to the movies Not because they don't want to go to the movies Or they want you, you to have a bad night or be disappointed. That's right, that's right. right. And I, that speaks to something else um, that I think challenges um, people, and that is that the, this all, also this mistaken notion that somehow the person that you're marrying is now responsible for your happiness. Yes, yes, yes. As though anybody is responsible right. for anybody's happiness, even your own. Right. You know, right. it's like if you think you are responsible for your happiness, well, good luck with that. Right. You know, because there is no way that you can control that much. The place that you are, I mean, again, let me revise this, but. If you work with yourself on a moment-to-moment basis and you're actually able to be fairly happy no matter the conditions. Right, happiness um, outside of the conditions. Outside of external conditions. Then you actually do, you can become, you know, 
somewhat responsible, not perfectly responsible right. for your happiness, but there certainly will be more possibilities for happiness because you're not depending on things going your way. Right. You're not depending on outcomes. Right. You're not depending on principles like equality or right. something. You're actually just working with a moment-to-moment thing. Then I think you do have some possibility of being, you know, imperfectly responsible for your happiness. Right. But that's not usually what people mean when they say the other person is responsible for their happiness. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And that's and that's a trap. I think that's a trap that people get caught in. And I also think that that's a fairly recent expectation, along with the that it's part of the idea of somebody being a perfect partner, right? You know, that's somebody right. who's gonna somehow meet all of these emotional needs that you're not meeting in yourself, right? Right. You know, and 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 they have their own unmet. That's right. Emotional needs. That's right. So they're going to, you know, they're they're going to transcend all that and somehow meet all yours. I'm, I've heard many people say in couples therapy, one one of the partners saying, but you know, if my partner loved me, mm-hmm. wouldn't my partner automatically remember right. my birthday? Right. Wouldn't my partner automatically want to go bowling with me because I love bowling? You know, and I think you know, what kind of algebra are you doing? You know, that's just like <laughs> right. not true. Right. Because many, many things intervene in all of our snow globes, you right. know. Right. And so I, I often say that, you know, when you send a birthday card, if you are sending a birthday card, that's it. You're sending a birthday card. You're not anticipating somebody sending you one back. Right. And if you've set up that contract, it's going to be disappointing yeah. Because nobody signs that contract with you. And so I, I think that all of these things are functioning in terms of the, that fear and hostility about commitment, but also the other side, the potential for spiritual and psychological development. Yeah. Yeah. When you make the cont- that commitment and mm-hmm. you understand the containment, right. then actually there's a real possibility for some really new development. Oh, yeah. Which is... You know, I mean, I wrote Love Between Equals because of that. And initially, it was called True Love Ways, Relationship as Spiritual Development. But Love Between Equals, I kind of like the title because it's it's now that challenge that we've imposed equality on relationships right. that raises still another challenge yes, for it us. Does. Yeah, it yeah. does. Because, because as we discussed in a previous podcast, no relationship is ever perfectly equal at all times. Right, right. And so you have the the perceived hand that's feeding, and then the person who perceives their vulnerability and then bites that hand. Right. So right, right. and if there wasn't if there wasn't the notion that things were equal or were supposed to be equal, then people could be more comfortable in the shifting balance because it right. really it like everything else it changes, it changes and it shifts yeah dependency and independency yes. and interdependency, interdependency always yeah. change yeah they're changing yeah. and it's not as though there is a steady state in which one person is in one and one person is in the other right and um, and that also speaks to another idea about marriage that i think is problematic and that is that it's a fixed Yes. Thing. Yes. As though once you get married, once you get married, there is some fixed thing that has happened and it is permanent and it is immutable. Right. And marriage is this amazing vehicle. Right. 
right you know for, for change for, and for growth for growth and, and, and for, development yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. well I think we really have a high degree of agreement there. So maybe this <laughs> Thanks is Thanks so place much to for listening. Sounds great. To continue the conversation, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Our Patreon page supports Real Dialogue for Opposing Sides live events. Please visit it at www.patreon.com forward slash Real Dialogue, all one word. You can find past episodes of the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and CastBox. Enemies from War to Wisdom is recorded and produced by Chris Coltrane.